it's not something where you come to the metal and make the metal conform to your desires. Uh, it's much more elemental. You're working with the metal. I mean, it's almost like the metal is alive. You heat it up and you see things happening inside of it. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 92 of the Kameno Voice. Today I speak with the president of Kameno Arts Association. Please welcome Dave Halliday. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Kameno Voice Podcast, where I interview folks around Kameno Island and beyond. If you want to stay up to date on events, businesses, and even hear a little history of this area, subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Welcome to another episode of the Kameno Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. On this episode, I got to speak with the president of Kameno Arts Association, or CAA, as well as the owner of Crossroads Grocery up in Maple Falls, and is also starting Crow Island Forge right here on Kameno Island. Uh, so Dave Halliday is involved in all of those things and has also done many things throughout his past and his history um, as far as business. Uh, he's he's run multiple businesses. Uh, he's owned 30 acres and wanted to do like an orchard. And um, so he's done all sorts of different things. Um, and uh, I loved, it was really fun diving into kind of his past and all that he's done. Uh, he was also on the forefront of technology uh, of like the birth of computer or stuff like that and getting involved in computers very early on in his life. Um, so you, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that I'm super into technology and what it can do and, and where it's going. And uh, so we get to have a little bit of conversation on that and, and what the future could possibly hold for us, um, uh, as well as his history and how he got to where he is. So anyways, uh, without further ado, here's my conversation with Dave Halliday. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Kameno Voice. Today, I'm here with the owner of Crow Island Forge, uh, president of CAA, and the owner of Crossroads Grocery. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Dave Holiday. Uh, thank you. Uh, well, uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about Dave. Oh, good. Uh, born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and as Andy Warhol says, Pittsburgh's a very good place to be from. Uh, <laughs> I went to college in Boston, majored in marine biology and physical oceanography, uh, dropped out when I got the opportunity to work for a local public aquarium and was there for five years actually doing what I was sitting in the basement reading textbooks about at <laughs> BU. So it was a good choice. And then uh, these computer things happened. <laughs> and uh, just started working with computers, personal computers, uh, putting them together for people, configuring systems. I was doing software development for a while and my Main love is hardware, you know, the actual nuts and bolts of it. I like to joke that my programming language is solder. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, opened up a computer store and then um, ran that for a while, opened up another computer store, ran that for a while, and here we are after a, a few detours. Okay, very cool. So uh, going back to where you, you grew up then in Pittsburgh, <clears throat> what was that? Uh, did you Was that your whole high school life then? Uh, yeah. High school? Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, what was that like for you? Were you in the city? Uh, yeah, I was uh, basically in a pretty much not downtown urban Pittsburgh. It was sort of a little bit outside the center, but uh, it was it was in the city. It was city living. Okay. And just did not like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm more of a country boy. Okay. 
Nice. What did you have uh, relatives or anything that had land that you kind of? Actually, uh, I am pretty much last of the last of the line. My uh, uh, father's family. There were three brothers, uh, including him, and though they had, one of the brothers had a child, but he died at five. Okay. So, and uh, I'm the last surviving Halliday, and uh, from my mom's fa- side, I've got a few cousins, but they're off on the East Coast. We're not really that close. Okay. So. Wow. Wow, that's really, that's, I don't know, it's a weird spot to be, I think. Mm-hmm. A- absolutely. <laughs> uh, you know, I, just, I see people with large, close families, and it's, it might, have been, might be nice to do that, but I'm pretty happy where I am right now. So. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Um, and then so then you went to um, Boston University, you said. Mm-hmm. And um, what had led you to kind of st- jump into marine biology? Uh, just I really loved <laughs> biology. Uh, my mom was a chemist and my dad was a physicist. Okay. So I've always been into the sciences. And just uh, life is a fascinating thing. Yeah. And uh, my mom and dad, uh, when they first married, they lived in Boston for a long time. This was, uh, they worked during World War II and met each other okay. there. Uh, so I was quite familiar. They used to vacation uh, uh, a little bit north of Boston on Cape Ann. Uh, so I was familiar with the city and really liked it and uh, just went there for school. Okay. Nice. So then you said you, you uh, decided not to finish your degree and then join in with an aquarium in the local area, right? Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. How was that? Uh, that was fantastic. I was working with another person in the education department at New England Aquarium, uh, I like to joke that we took care of all of the non-living exhibits. So it was things like public address systems, slide projectors. But I also did a lot of photography. And uh, whenever we had anything interesting coming in through the lab, I would always be up there with my camera taking photos of it. And, okay. And participating in the biology aspect of it as well. Uh, my job description was doing uh, you know, hardware and you know, audiovisual stuff. But uh, they gave me the... the free reign to pretty much do whatever I wanted, which was wonderful. Nice. It was a very fun five years. Yeah. That's great. Did you get to interact with the animals a lot? Uh, quite a bit. Uh, the They had dolphins at that time, and uh, there were a lot, a lot of... We weren't officially supposed to go in with the dolphins, mm-hmm. but there were a lot of tripping hazards around the pool. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I think statute of limitations has run out. Yes. Okay. That's great. So you got to like hang out, see the animals, and interact with oh, them yeah, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, sea lions I liked quite a lot. They're kind of like a dog in terms of personality and intelligence. Okay, so that's fun. cool. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, so you were there, and you said you were kind of on the tech side of that already. Like you mm-hmm. were dealing with all the any sort of audiovisual stuff, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so again, had was this something that like. As a kid, you were interested in, like, that type oh, of yeah, stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, always. I mean, my dad taught me how to solder when I was six years old. Okay. So we always did projects together, like building radios and doing amateur radio stuff. Oh, very cool. So. Nice. Okay, so then um, what kind of had, uh, like, wh- why did you end up leaving the aquarium then? Uh, I was getting tired of Boston. Boston was uh, great if you're 18 to 25, but if you're older, it's just... Very crowded. Uh, the, the population was increasing <clears throat> quite substantially. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at moving up north, kind of up near uh, Cape May, Plum Island, that area. Uh, okay. Maybe 50, 60 miles north of Boston. And I happened to, uh, a <clears throat> woman I was living with at the time, uh, we went and did a nice two-month road trip around the U.S. 
spent three days in Seattle and totally fell in love with the place. <laughs> and okay. it was kind of a fun story. We met some people in Seattle who put us up uh, for the three days that we were in Seattle, and really nice people. And uh, we were talking, oh, you're from Boston? Yeah, well, my family just lives outside in Falmouth, which is about 20 miles due west of Boston. Okay. And yeah, we're getting married in fall. And uh, oh, do you have a band? No, no, we don't, because I was doing PA systems for bands. Okay. So they put us up for three days, and in return, I arranged to have the music for their wedding. Oh, very cool. (laughs) And then uh, about a year later, I was uh, living in Seattle. Okay, nice. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's is so that's when you made this shift from like the biology and stuff like that over into tech. Completely into tech, completely into okay. computers. So, got it. Yeah, and I was working for a couple of places. Uh, I also did food service. You know, at night, good people, free fear, you know, free food, free beers. So. Yep. And then uh, <laughs> during the daytime, I'd be working. I, I worked for a company that did uh, PA mixers. And it was called Tapco. Uh, now they're Mackie. Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, just did basic pickup work and jobs and stuff like that. And then, uh, then finally the IBM PC came out and I started developing software for that business <coughs> software. And uh, people started coming over to my door and, hey, Dave, could you f- work on this? Could you take a look at this? And I finally figured just maybe I should open up a business. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And my mom's side of the family uh, had a large paper warehousing business, so I was kind of familiar with how businesses ran. And yeah. It's, it's in my blood. I've run businesses pretty much ever. You okay. Know, the last, it's either I'm chronically unemployable or else I've been self-employed for the last 40 <laughs> years. <laughs> I, I feel like that's sometimes they, those go together right, at yep. times. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was that kind of like for you then? Um, you had, you'd been dealing a little bit with tech and uh, more audiovisual stuff at the mm-hmm. aquarium, but then, um, you know, computers and everything as that's getting released. Um, what were kind of the things that you saw in the computers that were like, um, both very interesting and things that you just saw that would go farther and stuff like that? Uh, well, I saw that computers were developing uh, very rapidly. Uh, there's a guy, Charles Moore, who developed Moore's Law. Mm-hmm. Just basically the number of transistors in something will double every, I think it's every five years or every 10 years. Mm-hmm. So just basically, and that's been tracking solidly for about 30 or 40 years. Yeah. Uh, so I could see that if there was something that was not quite there, I mean, people were coming out with preliminary <laughs> devices for it, but it wasn't quite there. Just wait six months, wait eight months. You know, it'll come out. Someone else will bring it out, and it'll be ten times faster, and it'll yeah. be half the price. <laughs> so it was just always kind of a thing of waiting to be, you know, wanting to be the on the cutting edge of stuff, getting the newest technology. But it was also sort of a pragmatic thing of just kind of, okay, that looks interesting. Let's just kick back for a year and see what happens. And yeah. sure enough, it would come out. Yeah. I'm just like, look at the original laptops, I mean, right. uh, like the Osborne and the K-Pro, I and mean, they were 20 pounds, <laughs> it had to be tethered to a power cord, and no printer, you know, the screen was about the size of a paperback book, Yep. you know, no visual, no graphics at all, Right. and now look at where we are. Yeah. So, um, I want to get back to your history in a second, but then I want to take this, um, so how does that reflect, so as being able to see... Um, kind of computers from their their birth and like how they've evolved through that how do you kind of look at a perspective on tech from current to futuristic it's a fun time to be alive i'll tell you (laughs) that (laughs) oh i mean just you look at the things that are happening with computers and you have to realize that the same thing is happening in every sort of technological field out there 
uh, I'm a big fan of nuclear power, but, mm -hmm. and I'll preface that with a big but, <laughs> um, the original designs for the reactors with the uranium with the pressurized water, those were sketched out on cocktail napkins 50 years ago. I mean, there are some designs that are just so much better. I mean, completely walk away safe. Uh, they use a fuel called thorium that is about as common in the Earth's crust as lead, which is common. Okay. Uh, uranium is about as common as platinum, which is very rare. Right. So, I mean, we have fuel for at least 5,000 years. Uh, these reactors are walk-away safe. You know, they shut down automatically. I mean, you know, the reactor incident at Fukushima, um, they had three layers of redundancy on their power generation, and they all failed, and that caused the, the meltdown. Mm -hmm. With these thorium reactors, you don't need electrical power to keep the reactor safe. Okay. You know, they, you can remove all of the power, and they will just quietly shut down by themselves. Wow. So, I mean, we need to get into that stuff. Yeah. Uh, but yet we're still building nuclear reactors, and there's still, a, for a very good reason, a public reaction against these nuclear reactors. Right. We need to educate people that there are very safe kinds of nuclear power. Yeah. Um, and just also in terms of medical technology, I mean, I've got an artificial hip. I've got two pieces of plastic instead of my you know, corneas in my eyes. You know, just there's some amazing stuff that's happening out there. Wow. Yeah, no, it's um, tech has always been something that's fascinating me mm -hmm. um, from a um, just even as a kid, like um, I was always thinking like, well, what if, like you would watch fut futuristic movies and mm -hmm. things like that and be like, man, what if that was possible? And like, what are things you could derive if that's the end goal? What are things you can kind of step down? And, right. and in my lifetime, you know, many of those things have stepped down and like mm -hmm. we're now seeing the things that were in futuristic movies, you know, when I was growing up are now becoming real day things you can purchase and buy on the street, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is just, it's, it is, it's one of those things that like doesn't, your mind is almost not able to catch up to how quickly and how fast we've gotten right, to certain things. Right, right, yeah, Ex except they promised me a jetpack. I'm still yeah. waiting for my jetpack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, per the personal transportation has mm -hmm. not gotten quite mm -hmm, to the level. Mm -hmm. um, but I think uh, the other thing that, or with that, it's like the different levels of tech, and like you were saying, um, you know, I listen to different podcast stuff and they talk about the, how quickly things are advancing, like you said, in the medical field and mm -hmm. the, um, it, and maybe, I don't know if this is still considered medical, but like the bio field of mm -hmm. like what they're able to do on a biological Absolutely. level. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're doing work with exoskeletons where, uh, you know, it's like a powered robot that you put on like a suit. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, and, uh, you know, so I'm just basically could lift 400 pounds without breaking into a sweat and I saw a, a wonderful thing that was developed a couple of years ago where people that have um, muscular dystrophy and have severe tremors, it's stabilized dinnerware. So basically it's a spoon that has a little active motor in it. So your hand can be shaking massively, but the spoon stays absolutely perfectly quiet. So you can tip the spoon into a bowl of soup and bring it up to your mouth without spilling a drop. Wow. But your hand is shaking like a leaf in a, in a windstorm. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, just little things like that that just make life so much easier for people. And there's something called COTS, uh, C-O-T-S, commercial off the shelf, uh, as opposed to having to engineer something from scratch. You know, there's something where I can take that motor here, I can take that controller here. Yeah. I can take these batteries and I can put something together. You know, these things are being developed, you know, with COTS technology. I mean, they're cheap to make. 
the idea, I mean, someone has this idea, and oh, well, gee, all I need is this uh, Arduino little <coughs> computer board and some 18650 batteries and just a little servo motor here, and hey, it works. Let's market it. Yeah. Well, and, and not only that, the technology leaps they've made in, um, you know, for paralytics and things like mm-hmm. that with mm-hmm. the um, the mapping of, like, the mind mapping stuff mm-hmm. where they're able to mm-hmm. control computers and software and stuff mm-hmm. through thinking it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, they've, I don't know, it, again, like, there's some of these stuff that, like, I don't really fully understand how and why it works the way it does. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're able to start doing these things that are, Honestly, like they're like what you would think of as magical or something because they're just not. Yeah, have you seen the video of the monkey playing pong? Uh-uh. Uh, that's Elon Musk's company, Neuralink. Okay, I've heard, I've been yeah. hearing about that. Yeah. Yeah, so they did an implant in a monkey's brain uh, and they've got him playing pong using nothing but his bra- brain. Uh, I'm just, it starts off, there's a joystick and he gets a little th- sip of a <clears> banana <throat> smoothie through a straw every time he wins. Uh, but gen- then they, Actually, they show the same box that he's in, and they take the joystick away, and he's still playing and wow. still winning. <laughs> so, I mean, it's coming. It'll be here. You know, it's here in monkeys now to play Pong, and it'll be here in humans to, you know, yeah. just in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. You yeah. Know, it's a fun time to be alive. Right. I think it's just it's just crazy the, the different things that they're doing with that. Like the Neuralink I've looked into quite a bit of just – from a fascination perspective, like, mm-hmm. man, I don't know how, like, to actually get to that point where you, you're thinking, like, okay, let's try and make this actually possible, a computer-assisted brain. Mm-hmm. Like, not just, like, oh, that'd be cool, but, like, there's no way to actually get that integrated in the brain. And he's, like, gone through the science of, like, making this infinitesimal sewing things to interact with mm-hmm. the brain. Like, it's just crazy all the different levels that right. they're going to. right. I mean, there's still a lot of work ahead right now. For sure. All he's looking at doing is just, you know, being able to pick up eye and hand and muscle movement. And those are more like gross motor functions. Those aren't thought or cognition. Right. But still, I mean, that's first. What's next? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I just mm-hmm. think it's crazy the level yeah. of technology that we're seeing now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, and I've actually uh, recently picked up uh, Oculus Quest 2. Um, and played around with that. But then, again, I, I guess hadn't really interacted with virtual reality enough to kind of see that those limitations of they still haven't really figured out the, um, the like, if you're moving with a joystick in VR, your brain tells you you're moving forward. But if your body isn't moving forward, there's a disconnect. Right. And that right. can give, like, for me, it comes out in, like, a headache and, like, I can only do it right. so long because then my brain's like, nope, it's yep. not working. Yep. Um, so there's still work to be done there with that mm-hmm. link of like your brain understanding that you, what you're doing is what what's mm-hmm. happening. Mm-hmm. Um, very cool. Um, so you were doing some going back to you then. You were doing some work with the IBM computers. What what type of work was that? Oh, uh, just business, small businesses in the area. Um, I got to know a lot of people in the <clears throat> Seattle area, and I got to be known as sort of the computer guy and. Uh, there's a, a programming language specifically for business called DBase2. It was uh, made by a company called Ashton Tate. Uh, and it was it was a database program, but it could also handle putting things up on the screen. It was nice because it was a database language, so you could use it to control or to work with and manipulate arrays of data. Okay. Uh, like individual sales, 
the sale was for what? It was the sale of a coffee. What size of coffee? So then you would deduct so much coffee grounds from your inventory. Okay. And then you would go through. So, I mean, just basic data functions. Yeah. But it also had the ability to display nice menus and nice screens and be able to do reports. So it became a very nice programming language for businesses. Okay. So I got pretty good at that and made some decent money writing programs <laughs> for people. Got it. Uh, and then started getting into the hardware. Uh, back then, the computer stores were sort of top-down, you know, sort of kind of like car dealerships in the sense that it was always a pain to go to them. Yes. Um, <laughs> And they never really explained what you <clears throat> needed. They never listened to what you wanted to do. Yes. Uh, it was more like you were buying an oven or a toaster. Right. Uh, so I opened up a computer store on University Avenue in okay. Seattle. There was some space available, so I got it and ran that for six years. And, okay. And then moved down by U Village before U Village became such a big thing. Okay. So, uh, yeah, and just sold a lot of computers. And nice. Yeah. Were, did you ever, um, after learning some of those early languages, did you continue learning other computer languages? Well, as a hobby, I like C quite a lot, uh, and I like some of the scripting languages. I've been learning Python recently. Okay. And uh, uh, Fourth was kind of a fun, it was originally written to control radio telescopes, and it has sort of its own cult following. <laughs> and there's another one called Lua, which is Portuguese for moon. Uh, and it's a scripting language that's actually used to control a lot of the Adobe Photoshop functions, and it's used a lot behind the scenes for some gaming software. Okay. It's very nice, very compact, very fast, but it, it's not as popular as Python, so I've had to bite the bullet and learn <laughs> Python. <laughs> nice. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so then you were doing... Uh, did you end up, when you moved to U-Village, did you just keep, was it the same company that you just kind of started a new? I changed the company name uh, and incorporated, and I had made some mistakes. I, I grew a little bit too fast and kind of overextended myself, so I just did kind of a clean break. Okay. And uh, changed the company name, sort of changed the focus, and didn't do quite as much development, but was, was more focused in terms of moving systems. Okay. And getting things for people. And and it was actually kind of interesting because that was about the time that the mail-order computers started becoming really popular. Okay. So I'd spend 45 minutes with someone discussing what they needed for a computer, and then I wouldn't see them. And, and then three months later, hey, Dave, I got this system from Dell, and I'm having some trouble with it. You've been so helpful. Can you? <laughs> so I kind of got out of that <laughs> aspect. And yeah. And this kind of ties back to my mom's family's business. Uh, they sold paper uh, okay. to printers. And I've always been into desktop publishing and graphics. And mm -hmm. when I was a kid going up to visit them, they'd kind of put me in one of the, they'd hook me up with one of the salesmen. I mean, I'd be like six, eight, ten years old. Uh, they'd hand me off to one of the salesmen as they went around <laughs> to the various print shops. And I'd kind of wander around the printing shops and just kind of be amazed at this technology. Yeah. Uh, so I took some classes down at Seattle Central Community College and went full bore into doing desktop publishing and graphics. Okay. And bought two printing presses and was running those and did that for about five, six years. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Nice. It was fun. I'm sensing a pattern of like every six years or so is when you do a changeover and everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then did you have your own printing shop then? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, in, in the same space. And just, uh, oh, okay. Yeah. 
Got it. So did you do both at the same time then? Were you still doing computers? I was still doing computers, but it was a thing where I would work on a consulting <laughs> basis. Uh, I stopped doing the sales because basically the sales dried up. Yeah. I, couldn't, I could not compete with Dell. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So then where did, what happened after you were doing with the printing company? What uh, kind of I got kind, over? I got kind of burned out of it. Uh, and then I got a nice job at Microsoft. So worked at Microsoft again for five years. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so I started off at uh, one of the database things. There was a, a program called Foxbase that okay. Microsoft sold, and that was sort of their competition for DBase too. Uh, so I worked for that that group for about a year, and then moved over to the SQL Server, which is the Microsoft's big database program. Okay. And then uh, yeah, so became lab manager there. Okay. Nice. What, uh, when did you kind of leave them, and what, why did you end up leaving Microsoft then? Uh, actually, I moved up to Maple Falls. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, met someone, and you know, she wanted to do farming. I wanted to get the heck out of the city. So. <laughs> <laughs> Worked out. Worked out, yeah. Okay. So we bought 30 acres. And, wow. Yeah. Okay. And the intent was to do commercial cider, commercial hard cider. Okay. Uh, but that... I was into home brewing quite a bit. Uh, yeah. But there were some things that happened along the way that kind of put the kibosh on that. So, yeah. Yeah. When was this that you were kind of looking at the hard ciders? Uh, that would have been around 2002, 2003. Okay. Because um, I interviewed, uh, uh, I can't think of his name, but from Kamano Cider, mm-hmm. uh, Corey. Okay. That's his name. Um, and he was talking about like getting into when they started, because he's, Kamano Cider is actually their second cider company, mm-hmm. or his second cider company. He started another one, and um, but when he was starting, it was like at the beginning of ciders, mm-hmm. like right. they were just starting to come out, and he was like, most of them weren't very good, and they mm-hmm. were a single option. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes not even an option on the tap; it was like right. a you know a bottled version. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, he really enjoyed ciders and the complexity that you could get out of them mm-hmm. versus what mm-hmm. he was seeing on the shelves. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, it was America's first beverage. Yeah. You know, back then we didn't know about germs, and you'd dig a well right near the house so it was convenient, and you'd put the outhouse right near the house so it oh, was convenient. No. So, you know, you didn't have potable water. Yeah. So it was either beer or hard cider. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting because you look at the story of John Chapman. Uh, we know him as Johnny Appleseed. Mm-hmm. You know, he would essentially um, travel up the rivers, um, and just basically civilization mm. would kind of follow the, the rivers. Uh, okay. Because that was easy transportation, and people would go upriver, build a, a town, they'd cut the timber, float the timber down to the sawmills, yep. and they'd put in farms, float the produce down to the, the larger cities. And what Johnny Appleseed did was he would go up and he would plant orchards. Yeah. And then he would... Yeah, you know, ten years later, he'd go up to where there was a township and say, "Hey, you're using that orchard. I planted it. Let's get some little royalties going here." And the thing that proves that it was for hard cider is if you plant an apple seed from, or if you, if you plant an apple seed, mm-hmm. uh, it's not going to go true. Uh, so if you get a Honeycrisp apple uh, and you plant the seed, you're probably going to get a crab apple in res- in return. Weird. Uh, you, all of the apple trees that are grown commercially are grafted. Okay. Yeah, they're all clones. Really? Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. And the thing is, the gnarly apple, like the crab apple, the really, they call them spitters, you know, thing where you take one bite and spit it out. Yeah. 
those are the best for cider because when you ferment, uh, the conversion of the sugars into the alcohol takes a lot of the flavor out. So okay. in order to have any flavor left, you want something that has a huge amount of flavor to begin with. Okay. So. Got it. Yeah, Johnny Appleseed was planting at orchards for hard cider. Okay. Very um, cool. I yeah. didn't know any of that. Yeah. It's great. Um, so then you moved up to Maple Falls then. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of happened after that? Uh, just basically planted a bunch of trees. They all died. Um, no. That's part of light, the, <laughs> the story. I don't think you want to go on for four hours. But <laughs> <laughs> um, and then my mom passed away in 2007. And okay. there was a little bit of an estate. And the grocery store there uh, was up for sale. So... Uh, I bought it. Okay. Yeah. And, and that that must be Crossroads. Crossroads Grocery. Yeah. Okay. So that one, um, that was just up in that area then. Right. Yeah. Okay. It was about two miles from where we were living. Okay. Just, yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so what did, uh, like, you'd done a lot of tech, you'd done different stores and businesses, but like not necessarily retail. Mm-hmm. How was that kind of getting into that then? Um, I mean, business is business. It's just, yeah, the accounting is pretty much the same regardless of what you're selling. Yeah. Um, and managing people. I've had employees before. So yeah. I, and I've been an employee. I've managed employees. And I know not what I know what not to do. <laughs> yes. So um, yeah, I've had really good job retention with people. Nice. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's taken off. I've, yeah. Very I've cool. Built it up into a nice little business. Yeah. It's for sale if anyone out there is interested. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So when you were. Um, Getting started when you took it over, did it come, like, did you end up, uh, like, was there a lot of turnover and stuff? Did you have to work in there a lot, or was uh, it? Yeah, oh, yeah. It was, you know, 60, 70 hours a week for both my wife and me Okay. Um, for the first year or so. Uh, it had not been run very well. Yep. Uh, the people I bought it from were also doing catering, uh, and they commingled a lot of the finances, a lot of the, you know, inventory. Got it. A lot of the operations that had to be kind of streamlined. Yep. Nice. So you kind of stepped in and figured a lot of that thing. Right. Yeah. Listening to that. Okay. Yep. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, very cool. So then, uh, so you still own that. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Um, like you, you, we mentioned, uh, you have um, uh, Crow Island Forge, mm-hmm. um, and then we've talked. Uh, before, prior, about you getting into blacksmithing. Mm-hmm. When did all that kind of come about? Uh, that happened right around, oh, God, uh, 2005, 2006, somewhere okay. around there. Uh, I had always done woodworking, and I liked to build stuff. Um, but I'd never really gotten into metalworking. And then um, back when I was living in Seattle, a buddy of mine and I went in on a welder, and I really liked it. Okay. Uh, so I wound up buying it from him, you know, took it up to Maple Falls with me. And then I noticed that the Whatcom County was offering extension classes, and one of those classes was a weekend uh, for blacksmithing. So I figured, hey, I'll give that a shot. Okay. And as soon as that hammer was in my hand, I knew. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just a visceral thing. It's yeah. just really amazing. That's so cool. Yeah. So what, um, it, I guess with blacksmithing, it's, it, I mean, obviously it's a super old craft mm-hmm, and everything. Mm-hmm. How, what was that for you? Like what, um, what, what was your specialty in doing it? What was kind of the whole process of that? For you? Oh, um, just, I never really went into it thinking to make stuff. Um, I mean, I, 
I'm, I like the process of it. Um, and I've, I've done a whole bunch of stuff in terms of light fixtures, railings, things like that uh, for people and done a lot of welding for people. Um, but I'm just the the process of it is just really wonderful. Uh, and I've gotten to the point where I have some designs for artwork and things that I like to make. Okay. Um, and is it's just it's not something where you come to the metal and make the metal conform to your desires uh it's much more elemental you're working with the metal i mean it's almost like the metal is alive you heat it up and you see things happening inside of it and it's it's hard to describe it hard to put into words but it's more of a partnership with the material yeah um and it's just a very, very interesting. I mean, you can be working for hours, and the time just flies. And yeah. Really wonderful. Yeah. Um, and just, it is, essentially, it's the first technology. Uh, all of the tools that you have, uh, even the steam engines, all of the things that were used to make the steam engines were made by blacksmiths. Yeah. So it's kind of the first technology. Um, yeah. And it's, it's kind of a fun it's a fun thing. Yeah. yeah. So do you now have your own forge and I'm the oper- whole... I'm operating out of my garage right now. Uh, I still have a lot of the equipment back up in Maple Falls. Okay. I'm in the process this summer of building. I'm having Spanny uh, build up a 20 by 40 foot garage. Okay. Um, on some property I have on the island. Nice. And that'll be open sometime this fall. Okay. And that's officially named Crow Island Forge. Crow Island Forge. Mm-hmm. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Um, okay. So then is that... Uh, and do you... Like, um, is that also, is that like, is your house on that same property? Uh, no, it's a different piece of property. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. There's not enough room. Uh, I went from 30 acres down to a little bit under one acre. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a nice house. It's a great location, but it's just a little small. not a little small <laughs> being, doing a big downsizing too. Yes. Um, but I got a great deal on some property that's essentially, it's not buildable. Yeah. Uh, for a residence, but it is buildable for a shop. Perfect. And just uh, got under a little bit under an acre for $30,000 on Camino Island. So, wow, crazy. Yeah. So it was a, it was a deal. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. And go, it, go Windermere. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and seats you perfectly for what you're trying to do. Absolutely, it for. absolutely. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, very cool. So then um, we also mentioned at the, the top of the podcast that uh, you're now the president of uh, Camino Arts Association, mm-hmm. or CAA. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about that. How did you get involved with them? Uh, I got I joined them when I first moved to the island, uh, and it seemed like a really good group of people. Um, and just you know, I was planning on opening up a blacksmithing business. Things have been taking – there's a – between the time I moved to the island and now there was a divorce, there was a bunch of other stuff happening. I'm just, life has been kind of interesting this last couple, <laughs> couple of years. Yes. Um, but anyway, I joined them and went to the meetings and a nice group of people. The organization is really well run. Um, it's just some good people in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, in June, they, that's the end of the fiscal year and they elect new officers and I was at that meeting. It was, it was the, the general public meeting. Okay. And they were, who do we have for vice president? How about David Halliday? All approved. Yay! So <laughs> I got I got I got nominated and voted in in inside of about thirty seconds <laughs> and totally blindsided. Uh, and then April, who was our president at the time, uh, when the COVID thing happened, she has a couple of you know, preteen kids, and mm-hmm. she stepped down. Yeah. Uh, totally legitimately because uh, she had to 
deal with homeschooling and take right. care of them. It's a lot of work, so, yeah. So, yeah, I became president. Okay. And it's been fun. Like, I've had a lot of help from the other people who have been president before. I mean, like I said, it's a really well-done organization and just some really good people there. Nice. So, cool. What does that kind of entail for you then? Uh, we do two major meetings a month. Uh, we do a board of directors meeting and then an annual and a monthly general meeting. Okay. So it's kind of setting the agenda for those. Uh, people will email me with ideas for things, and uh, I'll either run it through the board or do like an email, quick email vote. Yeah. Uh, there's some organization organizational stuff too. There's I'm looking at doing a central repository of all of the digital. Uh, information like we don't have one place, one website to go to for, you know, if you want to get a copy of our logo or if you want to get copies of photos from previous events. Yeah. Um, these would not be open to the general public. Right. But these would be open via a password yep. to other CAA members. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm just getting some of that and kind of bringing a little bit of technology into the arts. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Mm -hmm. um, how has it been for this last year with COVID and everything? Uh, we've been doing meetings. I've been using Google Meet. Uh, I prefer that over Zoom for some particular reasons. Yeah. Um, and just uh, Google Meet's been working fine. Yeah. And it's free. And yes. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so we've been having good meetings. And yeah. yeah. Well, and like there's obviously there's not been able to do certain events and things right. like that. How was that kind of instead of having your normal events, what's kind of been your your guys's uh, thing? Uh, to we've go just over? been kind of laying low. Uh, we've been having the, the meetings online. Mm -hmm. uh, it used to be on the general meetings that we would have someone do a 10, 15 minute presentation on their art yeah. before, before each meeting. OK. And we have not had that, but we're looking at having that online. Okay. Um, and then also, too, is that we're looking at starting to do face-to-face -face meetings again. Okay. But still retaining the Google Meet option yep. for people that are, you know, they can't get a babysitter and they want to stay home with their kids. Yep. They can still participate. Yeah. So getting that, the whole thing with the online meeting, getting that debugged has been a really good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And people are really anxious to get back to normalcy. They are. This, this whole thing has been a bit overblown and if you want my opinion <laughs> <laughs> well and and i do think it's one of those things there's so much um i mean i think we're starting to get through it but the there was so much information and misinformation mm -hmm. and, and different things that were coming out that i think um you know and there was just enough stuff going on that like a lot of people got overwhelmed by the information. Exactly. And so then it's like, well, then it's safer, right, for mm -hmm. your family and for safety, mm -hmm. health reasons, just to pull back and sit and see what happens. Absolutely. And then start to roll back the out. And, um, but, I mean, I think that's, that's obviously there's certain areas, there's certain people, obviously, that are, um, you know, immune compromised that it's mm -hmm. more effective. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but then it's like you realize that most people that are immune compromised you're not many jumps away from other people. So you start tracking exactly. that whole, like, you know, jumping from person to person. So. Exactly. And also the people that are immune compromised are going to be kind of pulling back anyway <clears throat> Yeah. for anything. I mean, the COVID is bad. The flu is bad. Right. The common cold is bad. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, there's definitely some things with that. And I think that that's like, um, you know, we're still kind of seeing that as we get back to normalcy, mm -hmm. um, you know, as we get to in-person meetings, it's like, you know, a lot of churches and stuff like that are kind of like, we'll probably never not have, or at least for a very long time, mm -hmm. not have our service also streamed now, mm -hmm. which, um, you know, especially, go, um, seeing certain churches that, uh, are 
not anti-technology by any means, but mm-hmm. you know, kind of like no, let's let's focus on the in-person side. Mm-hmm. We don't want the technology to get mm-hmm. in the way. Yeah. Um, you know, I've had to kind of change that a little You're bit. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, what are kind of the plans looking forward for uh, the CAA? Oh, uh, just basically we're uh, we're doing our. We call it the Mother's Day tour. Yeah. Uh, so we postponed that f- until the end of June. Right. Uh, so we're doing that, and it's just going to be the one weekend. Okay. Um, we're going to be announcing a scholarship. We found someone from uh, Standard High School that did a really nice presentation, and they're going to be awarded a nice scholarship pretty soon. Nice. So, I mean, we're still we're still active in yeah. the community. Uh, and then there's also a Standard Camino Arts Association that's uh, getting together uh, I cannot say too much about it, but basically there's the option of having a dedicated arts building somewhere in the Stanwood area. Okay. Uh, that'll be sort of a community center, arts center. Yeah. So that's kind of in the long term. Very cool. Burner, but that's, you know, definitely people are kind of interested in it. Yeah. Is that, what, is that one of the, uh, I'm assuming, is this a big project for you guys that, like, you're going to be having to take on a lot of it? Uh, it's... Some other people are doing the major heavy lifting. Okay. Uh, we are definitely involved in yeah. it. Uh, that's just, I can't really go into full, right. full right. detail. Right, right, I'm sure. But yeah, but it's, it'll, it'll be nice. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Nice. Um, and then, uh, so with the Forge, with everything, um, is there anything that you've got that you're looking forward to kind of in the coming year that um, <clears throat> just that's coming up? Mm, just basically getting a shop built uh, and getting back into business, doing the forging, doing the blacksmithing. Nice. So it's been a hobby for 15, 16 years, and I'm just looking at converting it into a pretty much full-time business. And uh, there's a tradition in terms of blacksmithing uh, where you take on apprentices and you teach, and I'll be looking forward to be doing that too as, as okay. well. So I'll be doing classes. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, I like to end every podcast with some rapid-fire questions. Okay. Uh, so the first one is... 42. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, what purchase of $100 or less in the last three months have you enjoyed the most? Actually, uh, it's over $100, and it's yesterday, but I just was at an auction, or an online auction. Yeah. And went, won a bid for some really nice storage, uh, little plastic storage bins. Oh, okay. For hardware, for nuts and bolts. Yep. I'm in my garage. I've got one shelving unit that is just overflowing with paper bags full of nuts and bolts <laughs> and cardboard boxes full of nuts and bolts. And this, and I got them for about forty cents a piece, and they normally wow. sell normally sell for four to five dollars a piece. So, okay. Yeah, I got oh, about, very cool. I got a couple hundred of those. So I'll be organized at least nice. in the nuts and bolts department. Yes. Yeah. My uh, one of my projects this summer is to get our garage all put back together, mm-hmm. and uh, we've got a massive garage. It's got some built-in storage that came with the house. Um, and we're just kind of looking to organize it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. We're going to probably take out some of the storage they already had and mm-hmm. replace it. But um, that's one of my projects too. So yep. I'm like, all right, got to get that yeah. done. <laughs> all right. Uh, pretend you have a friend coming from uh, out of town. What would the first day look like here? Oh, good. Uh, definitely the parks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Barnum Point. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, Cama Beach. And I also like Off Island. Uh, it was unexpected when I moved on to Camino. Uh, I really like Mount Vernon and yeah. Burlington and yeah. just the Skagit Farm. I mean, you know, I used to live on 30 acres. So yeah. Just being able to drive through the Skagit farmland is just really beautiful. And just, 
drive through over the course of the year, see the different crops coming in and yeah. seeing how that is. And also Burlington has a really nice sort of industrial vibe to it. They've mm-hmm. got a really good metal supply store. Uh, there's a welding supply store there. So, you know, my needs are met. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I I, uh, I mean, I live in Mount Vernon and the, mm-hmm. like, I love the area around there. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you're right off Highway 20. So if you yep. want to go check out some Cascades, yeah. the trails yep. and stuff and like you, that. And you got the food co-op and the Lincoln Theater yeah. and just all the culture and the college. And, yeah. And yeah. downtown has done, um, has really had a revitalization mm-hmm. in the last, mm-hmm. I would say, like, five, three to five years. Okay. Um, so that's neat to see, too. Cool. Uh, who is an interesting or fascinating person in this community that I should interview next? Good. Uh, if you don't have someone, that's fine, too. <laughs> <laughs> Every person I meet has been interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, that's part of the why I started the podcast is because mm-hmm. there really are a lot of mm-hmm. interesting people on yeah. Camino. Yeah. And that's one thing I've noticed, you know, through the Arts Association. And I'm also into amateur radio and the preparedness and all of the people involved in those groups. They're yeah. all really interesting yeah, uh, people. So I'm just you could just pick someone off the street. Yeah, yeah, very cool. All right, and if you could or have, a, we could turn the tables. I could interview you. <laughs> yeah, actually, my uh, last podcast I just released was a um, kind of a self interview, and okay. then I had done one way early on in it as well. So yeah, okay. I, I kind of have that happen every once in a while just to catch up with people mm-hmm. where I'm at. Um, mm-hmm. But try not to do it too often. <laughs> All right. Um, lastly, if you could have a message on a billboard right on Camino Island, what would that say? Oh, I would keep Camino Island, Camino Island. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you. It's been a very good pleasure. Yeah. Thank mm-hmm. you. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Dave Halliday for joining me on the podcast today. And thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can go to CaminoCommons.com slash EP92. That's CaminoCommons.com slash EP92. Thanks for listening and see you next time.